Psalm 140. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men. The purpose to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me in cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. Selah. I said to the Lord, You are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, You have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. Selah. As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. Seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. Gracious God in heaven, we do praise You and thank You for the truth of Your word. And we thank You that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And so we pray that as we come to this psalm this morning, that You, O Lord, would open our hearts and our minds to see the truth that is here, that Your Spirit would give us understanding and insight. And that truly, as Your Word goes forth in the power of the Spirit, we do pray, Lord, that it would find within our hearts that rich, fertile soil, which brings about great and abundant fruit for Your glory. We pray, Lord, for Your blessing now upon Your Word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. In the Lord's Prayer, remember that Jesus gives... His disciples, a model to use when they're seeking the Heavenly Father in prayer. And as you know, the Lord's Prayer has a preface followed by six petitions or prayer requests, and then it concludes with a doxology. Well, in that last petition, Jesus charges His disciples to pray, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in this petition, according to the Westminster Shorty Catechism question and answer 106, we pray that the Lord would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. This petition, then, is a key comfort for us and certainly ought to be one of our go-to weapons in defending ourselves against temptation and sin. But temptation isn't the only evil that we need to be delivered from. 
considering that we're sinners, surrounded by sinners and living in a fallen and sinful world, there's evil afoot all around us. We know that Satan, our chief enemy, is, is the father of evil, and then he goes about like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour, including and maybe even especially God's people. There are people, evil people around us, whose hearts are bent on evil. And many who have no qualms about assaulting and, and a persecuting God's beloved. And of course there's the evil that often wells up within our own hearts. Our own sinful lusts and desires that constantly assault us and, and lead us astray from godly living. Evil comes in a variety of forms and again is, is all around us. And so we need then to daily pray this sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Well, as we come to Psalm 140 this morning, we see that seeking the Lord's grace and mercy for deliverance from evil isn't a new thing. That is, it's not something that Jesus just came up with and wanted to pass on uh, to his disciples. No, the petition to deliver us from evil has been around even since the beginning. When Adam and Eve first realized that they had sinned against God, and that they must now face the consequences of that sin. And then here in Psalm 140, we see David giving clear expression to this petition as he once again finds himself surrounded by enemies who plot evil against him. Now there's nothing in the ancient title or in the psalm itself that really gives us a clear indication of the setting for this psalm. Some think that it was during Saul's pursuit of David and especially maybe when Saul enlisted the help of, of Doeg the Edomite, who killed the priests at Nob only because they had aided David and his men. And others contend that the references to the wicked in verse 8 and the slander in verse 11 being exalted and established over the earth, that this may refer to David's son Absalom, who rebelled against him and sought to take the crown. And so either of these situations could fit. But, but regardless, there's a certain reality here as well that we've already mentioned. We're sinners. And surrounded by sinners, we're living in this fallen and sinful world. And so assaults from evil can come upon us from any direction. And certainly the description that David gives can be applied to any situation that he may have faced. Ultimately, pointing us toward the evil that was faced by David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the religious leaders and then the Romans who surrounded him and, and ultimately put him to death on the cross. And friends, because this psalm ultimately speaks of Christ as he was assaulted by evil, we know that it will then also apply to us who trust in him and who seek to walk in his ways. So that the prayer and comfort that offered here should also be our prayer and our comfort in times of affliction when we are faced with evil. In verses 1-5, through David begins with this plea to the Lord for help. But first I want to 
want to just focus our attention on the foes that David is facing and the description that he gives of them. And notice especially the different words that he uses to identify them. Verse 1, he says they're evil men and then violent men. In verse 4, they're wicked and violent men. And then in verse 5, they're proud. You get the sense here that these are not nice, friendly people. They're evil. They're bad and corrupt in their very being. They're men of violence. They're they're quick to strike and inflict harm. They're wicked. That is, they're, they're criminals who have no regard for the law, whether it's the law of God or even the law of man. And the fact that they're proud... That is, that they're exalted in their own eyes and filled with their own self-importance really sums up the totality of corruption as all the evil and the violence and the wickedness flows from a proud and idolatrous heart focused on the idolatry of self. And so this is their being and character. It's, It's who they are. And if you're this kind of person, well then you're not only an enemy of David, but an enemy of the most holy and righteous one true living God. For it's not just that they're this way and they don't, bo- they don't bother anyone, but the evil within constantly pours forth and afflicts all who are near. And in this case, David has been the focus of their evil. Look how they assault him. In verse 2, they plan evil things in their hearts. Again, it's not just that they have one evil thought, desire, or plot against David, but they have many. They're always looking for new and innovative ways to wreak havoc and bring destruction, including warmongering. That is, they, they continually gather together for war. They're always looking for a fight. They're, they're pugnacious and belligerent. And again, David is the one that they're focused upon. He's their target. But the evil and violence isn't just in their thoughts and in their abusive actions. The wickedness of their hearts also pours forth in their speech. In verse 3, they sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Selah. Like snakes, they slithering about, ready to inflict with their deadly bite. These evil men spread the poison of lies, deceits, false accusations, ridicule, slander, rumors, gossip, character assassinations, degrading and crude speech, and blasphemies, just to name a few. All this destruction comes from the tongue and the words we speak, which is why... Remember, James likens the tongue to a small spark that can set a whole forest ablaze. Because words hurt and they destroy. And so really their thoughts, their words, and their deeds are evil. They're consumed with evil and it comes forth with great force. Think about it. And as you think about it, I want to just take a little side note here. I want to make a comment on the word Selah that appears at the end of verse 3 and verse 5 and then verse 8. And of course, as you know, it also appears in many other Psalms. And though this uh, word is a part of the text of Scripture, 
its meaning is, is uncertain. And most Bible scholars agree that, that it's probably some kind of musical notation that we don't really uh, have any reference to. And that perhaps it was to bring a pause. Or even to uh, have the music, the sound of the voices, the instruments, to maybe not pause, or maybe to even to increase. And to get louder for a time. For a time. And certainly if this was its use whether it was a pause or increased volume, but would have a way of of getting your attention to briefly just pause and, and think about what's been said. And so that's what we do here when we see the word Selah. We, we pause for a moment and we think about what's been said. And when we ponder for a moment... the evil thoughts, words, and deeds pouring forth from these enemies are reminded of God's estimation of all humanity, both before the flood. In Genesis 6, 6, verse 5, the Lord said, He saw that the Lord, uh, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man was evil. And so God brought judgment upon the earth and He brought the flood. But you know what? Just as the, bap- the waters of baptism do not remove our sin, neither did the flood waters remove sin. So that after the flood, in uh, Genesis 8.21, the Lord says that the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. He's speaking about evil humanity. And David, then, isn't speaking of just really bad people. He's speaking about every person. Born in the likeness of Adam. Born with his sin nature. And he comes forth from the womb speaking lies. He's speaking of us. And of our sin nature outside of Christ. And the Apostle Paul even picks this up as he quotes the second part of verse 3 in Romans chapter 3, adding the poison of asp is under their lips to a a long list of defilements of the sin and nature of mankind. And of course that passage concludes with the summation that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so in David's evil foes, He sees himself, even as we see ourselves in our own sin nature. Well, considering this description of the foes, no wonder David is in need of help. And this, then, is the essence of his plea. But again, note the different words that he uses here. In verse 1, deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me. And then verse 4, keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. And again, preserve me. David wants the Lord to deliver him, to save and rescue him from these evil men. Literally, he wants the Lord to to just reach down and to pull him out and, and to withdraw him from their presence. Because there's no way that he can save and deliver himself. So the Lord must help him. The Lord is His only hope. 
He also calls for the Lord to keep him, to, to guard and to watch over him so that no harm comes to him. David here is, is looking for God's special care for protection. And then twice he calls for the Lord to preserve him. And here the sense is of providing a strong defense against the onslaughts of the enemy so that his life would be preserved. For it's not just the thoughts, words, and deeds of the evil ones that afflict him. But you see, they're numerous. They're surrounding him. They've got all these traps and these snares set for him. Their desire and purpose is to make David's steps stumble in verse 4. They place stumbling blocks and obstacles before him so that he'll fall down and then he becomes vulnerable to even more attacks. They've hidden snares and cords for him so that he could be entangled and trapped when he least expects it. They even spread nets by the wayside to catch him if he tries to escape. In other words, if David stayed on the road, there'd be obstacles ahead. And if he tried to take another road, well then there were going to be these, these snares and cords waiting for him. And then even if he just decides, I'm going to, I'm going to just get off the road altogether and, and just go th- uh, down on the, the uh, side of the road. Even there, there are nets waiting to bring him down. He can't go back, he can't go forward, he can't go to either side, he's trapped. He's trapped. There's no place for him to go without him being in danger. He has no friends. There are no allies who are close by. He's alone. And his enemies are numerous. And so this desperation fuels his pleas for help. And is why he's so repetitive here to to emphasize that he really can't help himself. God alone is His only hope and help. And again, here we're reminded of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. When He was there in the garden and the enemies came, and what happened to His friends? They left. They scattered. He was left all alone. And the enemies were all around Him. And they took Him away to put Him to death. Well, noting again the sailor at the end of the verse 5, think about this desperate situation that, that David was in and that our Lord was in. Beloved of God, isn't this precisely where we are in our own lives since the day we were born and even till this very day? Sinners, surrounded by sinners, living in a fallen and sinful world, we have traps and snares all around us. Satan's on the prowl, seeking to bring us down with a constant stream of of temptations and nets to entangle our feet in sin. And the moral rot and corruption of our current society barrages us from every side and assaults us. And even our own sin nature is working hard against us, seeking to consume us and bring us back down to the pit of destruction. We're trapped. And in a most desperate situation, we can't 
save and deliver ourselves. We can only humble ourselves and cry out with David to the Lord for deliverance, protection, and preservation. Deliver us, O Lord, from the schemes of the devil, from his lies and temptations and the continual assaults that he makes upon us in the church. Guard and keep watch over us, protecting us from those who do Satan's bidding in this world, evil men and women who seek our harm and destruction because of our faith in You. But also preserve us, O Lord, from the enemy within, the remnant of the sin nature that remains in us. Provide a strong defense against our own sinful hearts, our lustful thoughts, our lies and gossip, our sinful attitudes and actions that affect those all around us as well as ourselves. Deliver us from evil, O Lord, should be our prayer. And beloved of God, if David's plea for help is also our plea for help, well then so too may his confidence be our confidence. You see, David moves now from his plea for help to making specific petitions as to how the Lord can help him in this desperate situation. But first he, he reaffirms his confidence in God's faithfulness to His covenant promises. In verse 6 he says, I said to the Lord, You are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. David draws confidence from the fact that the Lord God is His God. And what's more critical, that David is one of God's beloved children. And so David has a relationship with this one true living God. The language that he uses here is reflective of the the covenant language that we find throughout Scripture. For example, in Genesis 17.7, when God is first uh, making His covenant with Abraham, He says, And I will establish My covenant between Me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. God was claiming Abraham and his descendants as his people. And he would be their God. And then later, Jeremiah 30 verse 22 says, You shall be my people, and I will be your God. And so David is one of the Lord's beloved children. And so with this truth that the Lord is on his side, David has nothing to fear in regards to these enemies. His confidence then is strengthened. As he goes on to acknowledge, not only is is the Lord God his God, but that he's a God of sovereign power. Verse 7, O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. David knows God has the power to save and deliver. Because he knows that his God is the one who created heaven and earth and everything in them. He's the one who graciously chose Israel and, and built her into a great nation when, he, when she was nothing. He was the one who chose David and anointed David when he was just a mere shepherd boy out in the fields to be king of Israel. He is the one who saves from sin and death. And to support this truth, David is able to recall the past mercies of God. You have covered my head in the day of battle. You see, he's able to look back that the Lord has delivered him numerous times in the past, even even in the heat of battle. 
And so his thinking here is surely if God was able to deliver him through the horrors of war, well then he surely will be faithful to deliver him as he faces the evil plots of his current enemies. And so, beloved, recalling the past memory, the mercies of God, and reminding himself of God's power and, and strength, and especially remembering that, that this great, awesome God is his Lord and God. These things all give David great confidence in the midst of evil plots, even as it should give us great confidence. Beloved, when assaulted by the evil one, when tempted to sin or persecuted by others, remember, brothers and sisters, remember who your God is and what He has done for you in the past and what He's able to do for you because He is the Creator of all things. And remember especially what He's done for you simply because He loved you even when you didn't deserve it. Even when you were His enemy, He loved you and saved you. Remember, and then boldly go before the throne of grace and make your petitions to the Lord. And this is what David now does. And there are two types of petitions he makes here. First, he acknowledges that because his enemies are ultimately God's enemies, he seeks to honor the Lord and calls upon the Lord to honor his own name by not giving his enemies their desire. In verse 8 he says, Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted, Selah. In other words, David is praying, Lord, look, if, if these evil men, if they get their way against me, and their schemes against me are successful, what's that going to say about you? What's that going to say about your power to save and your word and your promise that was given to me to one day make me a great king in Israel? See, if the wicked are victorious, then they will not only exalt themselves over me, but they will exalt themselves over you because you are my God. See, David is the Lord's servant. And if God allows David's enemies to overtake him, well, it would give rise to slander and blasphemy against God. And not only this, but allowing evil to rule over the earth without any correction, without any curtailment, would cause all men to blaspheme. Hence, David petitions in verse 11, let not a slanderer be established in the earth. He's saying, look, don't let evil reign. Deliver us. Deliver us from evil and bring it to an end. Bring this evil to an end. Bring it to the end that it truly deserves. Even the wrath and curse of your just judgment. And so with God's honor at stake, David intensifies his petition and he calls down God's curse on these evil ones with this imprecatory prayer. Verse 9, he says, As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. And so here we see it interesting. David turns his remembrance of, of God's blessing on him in verse 7, where God uh, covered him, his head in battle. But now he's turning that into a curse, that imagery into a curse on the evil ones. 
that the evil plots, accusations, and lies that they assault David with would now come back upon their own heads. Friends, that is divine justice at its finest. And we see calls for that a lot in the Psalms, but throughout the Scriptures, where the plots of the wicked would fall back upon themselves. And David continues in verse 10 and 11, Let burning coals fall upon them. Let let them be cast into the fire, into the deep pits that they rise not again. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. Now these words are hard to read. They strike against our modern sensibilities. And we may think that David is here simply seeking revenge. But remember, David is currently powerless. He's powerless to do anything against his enemies. But he knows he's the Lord's beloved. He knows that the Lord is good and just. And he knows that these evil ones are only showing the fruit of their own hearts which are in rebellion against God. The imagery here is is actually the imagery of, of coals of fire and the deep pit and, and being brought down and not rising again is reminiscent of the fire, the fire and brimstone that fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah and God's judgment upon that wicked, those wicked cities and destroyed them. Why? Because of their pride? Because of their idolatry? And because of their gross immorality? And so if God didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah, Well, how then could He spare these evil ones who are very similar in their evil ways and yet who are now persecuting the Lord's anointed? See, Sodom and Gomorrah, they weren't persecuting Lot and his family. They weren't persecuting Abraham. In fact, Abraham had helped them out at one point. But they were evil. And it became a stench in God's nostrils and He brought judgment down upon them. Well, here David is facing similar evil men. And he's calling for the Lord to bring His just fiery judgment down upon them. But friends, we also remember, as we think about Jesus, the Lord's anointed, and those evil ones who persecuted Him. And again, this is what often gives us pause when we come to these imprecatory prayers, imprecatory psalms. Because then we ask, well, in the New Testament, do we find Jesus calling down curses and fiery judgment upon those who are hanging Him on the cross and putting Him to death? Well, no. Instead, we find Jesus praying for them that God might forgive them for they know not what they do. Which, again, gives us an example of how we should pray for our own personal enemies. But let us not forget that in many places we see that Jesus had very stern words of warning for evil ones, even for those, the religious leaders who were given much, but who didn't believe in Him and who rejected Him. He says in Matthew 25 in a parable, "And, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then even in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the unquenchable fire 
that will consume the wicked on the day of judgment. So when Christ returns at the end of the age, those who blasphemed Him, those who, who put Him to death, who did not repent during their lifetime, they will be judged accordingly, even with coals of fire poured out upon their heads. And they will be brought down, and they will not rise again. So yes, we must love and pray for enemies. But friends, we should also we should also pray that their evil and wickedness would be brought to an end, even back upon their own heads. And however the Lord wants to wants to meet it out, may it be done according to his will and plan and purpose, because it can be a judgment upon them, judging them for their wickedness. Or those coals of fire coming down upon their heads might even possibly be a way to break them and to humble them and bring them to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. So either way, you see, when we call for God's justice to be brought upon the wicked and the evil of this generation, we, let, we call for that evil to end. And then we let God sort it out how that end will come. Whether it will be judgment to eternal condemnation and and hell, or whether it will be a judgment that softens and breaks and humbles and brings to newness of life. And we should remember that, especially, friends, because it was this that God through Jesus Christ did for us. Causing His just wrath and curse to fall upon Christ instead of us so that we might be spared and delivered from evil once and for all, because we deserve the same fiery judgment, and yet Christ Jesus endured it on our behalf. And so because Christ was broken for our sins, we've become broken in Him, broken and humbled as we call upon the Lord's name in faith. And this is what's intended beloved, by this petition to deliver us from evil. That God would once and for all destroy evil in the world. And that He would also destroy the evil in us and in our own hearts and our own lives. This is David's prayer in this psalm. Well, David has has made his plea urging the Lord to hear and and take action against these evil ones. He's gained great confidence by remembering His covenant relationship with the one true living God. And he remembers that God is almighty, that His God is almighty and has been faithful to deliver Him in the past. And so he knows God will not disappoint Him in the present. He's petitioned that the Lord would repay these evil ones justly, bringing back their own evil upon themselves. And now David is moved to praise God and to rest in Him, knowing that God's plan will prevail. That truth and justice will prevail. That love and mercy will prevail. That God's Word, and that especially His covenant promises, will prevail. We see this resolve in verse 12. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. 
See, David knows this with all certainty. He knows because God has revealed it in His Word. He knows because God's character of justice, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, love, and truth demand it. You see, if God was not, was not these glorious attributes, then he, we couldn't depend upon Him. And He would not do good. But we know He will do good. Because He is all goodness. So David, having made this petition, rests in the mercy and sovereign purpose of God to carry out His will according to His purpose and His revealed character. Now, it's, it's hard for us perhaps to imagine that in the middle of such distress, and yet David resolves to submit himself to the will of God. Again, pointing us toward what Jesus Christ our Lord did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? Jesus was surrounded by evil men plotting against Him. They were quickly closing in on Him. He knew that death was soon coming upon Him, but making His petition known to His Heavenly Father, Lord, let this cup pass from Me. He then rested in God's perfect plan, praying, but not My will, but Your will be done. What a great challenge for us. Beloved, in the midst of our own trials and difficult times, to pray seeking the Lord's grace and mercy, and then simply to just rest in Him and rest in the glorious promises of His Word. This, of course, would lead to great celebration of of praise and thanksgiving, as we see here, even with the enemies still swirling about and, and closing in, David is confident that not only he, but all the people of God will praise and give thanks to the Lord, regardless of the outcome of this particular situation. Verse 13, Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name, the upright shall dwell in your presence. And here David is looking forward to the future. Not only to when deliverance comes for him now at the present time, because surely there will be much praise and thanksgiving as David is is spared and he'll be able to recount to others, bearing witness and testimony of the great things that the Lord has done for him to save and deliver him from enemies. Even as we rejoice and give thanks and ought to bear witness and testimony of the great things that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And so he looks forward to that with a certain confidence and hope. But David is also looking much further in the future to a time when full and complete deliverance will come for him and for all the people of God. A time when we will be made perfect in righteousness and holiness. A glorified state where we're actually unable to sin. When we'll no longer be surrounded by sinners, but we'll be surrounded by the holy ones of God, all the saints of the past, present, and future, along with all the heavenly hosts giving praise to our God. A time when we'll no longer be living in a fallen and sinful world, because we'll be dwelling in a new heavens and a new earth, where the old things have passed away, where tears, pain, suffering, and sin have all been wiped away, and something new and glorious has come. A time when we'll dwell in the glorious presence of our God and Savior forever and ever because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
Let us pray then. Deliver us, O Lord, from evil. Deliver us from evil. And let your righteousness reign over all the earth and in our own lives, now and forever, to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we do praise you and thank you and rejoice as we're reminded of the great hope and the comfort and the confidence that we can have because of what Jesus has done for us when He gave Himself as the once for all perfect sacrifice for our sins. That we were once enemies and yet You loved us and saved us through Christ. And yet we are certainly mindful that part of that flesh, the sin nature remains in us. And it plagues us. Although it doesn't rule over us, it's like a small infestation that continues to inflict us. And that Satan seeks every opportunity to, to spur it on. And then we also are surrounded by evil persons. As we live in this fallen and sinful world, world full of rot and corruption and rebellion against you and your word. Lord, we're pressed in from every side. And so it reminds us and draws us to our knees to cry out to you for help and deliverance because you alone, O oh Lord, are able. You're faithful. You're all-powerful. And you have this good and sovereign plan and purpose for us, for your people. And so we pray, Lord, that you truly would deliver us from evil. That you would rain down fiery judgment upon the wicked. And that it would either condemn them to death, eternal death in hell. And we pray, Lord, that it might even humble many and bring them to Yourself, even as it has done for us. And so we just praise You and thank You, Lord, for these things, for this, for this reminder. And that You would truly hear our prayer, that You would deliver us from evil, that You would have mercy upon us, and that we might be strengthened to live good and godly lives as we rely upon Your all-sufficient grace to do so. Because only through Christ can we live for Your glory. And that is what we pray, Lord, that in us and through us, above all things, Your name will be glorified. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.